Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, a podcast that covers the growing threat of Christian nationalism in the United States. This week, the struggle over Christian nationalism comes to a head, because tomorrow, the 8th of November, 2022, is Election Day, with over 500 seats in the United States Congress up for grabs, along with positions in state and local governments across the country as well. So, I want to start out by just urging you to vote. There are people who are going to tell you that there's no point that your vote doesn't really count. Um, But that's actually simply not true. Mathematically, your vote does count. Every time that you vote, every time that you make a choice of a candidate, that counteracts the choice that somebody else makes if they're choosing a different candidate. This is mathematical reality. Your vote counts. Your vote is necessary because Christian nationalists are not the majority in the United States. They are a minority but they can choose who's going to run the United States government if you don't show up. When opponents of Christian nationalism do not show up to vote, the Christian nationalist minority becomes a majority among voters. And there are practical consequences to that. You don't like what the Christian nationalists have been doing? Their attacks against Jews, their use of Nazi ideology, their hatred of activists who are working against racism, their own racism, their sexism. These are things that they want to advance in the United States Congress and in state and local governments across the country. Imagine Christian nationalists having the power in the Senate to choose which judges get to be appointed, not just to the U.S. Supreme Court, which is already dominated by Christian nationalist justices, but also other federal courts. Think about what happens when you get Christian nationalists chairing congressional committees. Think about what happens when you have Christian nationalists determining which pieces of legislation are going to be considered, even to get a vote in the Congress. The Republican Party has been taken over by extremist Christian nationalists. And so, up and down the ballot, the elections of 2022 can be viewed as a referendum on Christian nationalism. It's a referendum among those people who take the effort to show up and vote. So, will Americans bother to stand against the fascism of Christian nationalists? Will Americans stand up to their attacks against American democracy? We're going to find out. You know, it sounds kind of crazy, but Republicans, Republican politicians, are speaking as if they are religious officials, as if they have the endorsement of 
the supernatural beings of Christianity, the angels, the God. Apparently, they believe that Jesus was a Republican, and that may sound like a really strong statement to you, but I want to give as evidence a little speech that was given. Uh, It was disguised as a prayer uh, just yesterday at a rally for Republican U.S. Senator Marco Rubio and for ex-President Donald Trump. This little speech, disguised as a prayer, was given by the mayor of Hialeah, Florida, named Esteban Bovo. And here's what he said. So I ask all of you to stand up. Stand up so we can pray together. Stand up. I ask the Lord to descend upon this free state. I ask the Lord to put his hand on the United States of America and guide it, guide it and bless those and help those that want to stop the craziness in our country. God, we ask that you put blessing amongst those that want to stop the education system from teaching us weird things. Bless those that want to teach our kids arithmetic, English and reading. We ask the Lord to bless all of those that are fighting against an ideology that will destroy this country. And Lord, we ask you on Tuesday, let your mighty hand be felt as one after another, after another, go to the voting booth and support Republican candidates up and down the ballot. to make America great again. And we do all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you really listen to what Esteban Bobo is saying here, it's kind of strange. It's actually, to use a word that he is fond of, it's kind of weird, this Christian nationalist prayer. He's asking um, the God of Christianity to descend upon the free state of Florida, to descend upon. That's the kind of um, language you use to describe a predatory animal coming down and um, hunting its prey. And here we have this idea of this God putting his mighty hand on the United States of America. That's this mayor's actual language. This Republican mayor wants the uh, God of Christianity to, to move, to manipulate, to guide uh, the election of 2022 to direct its outcome, which is actually um, the opposite of what democracy is supposed to look like. The Christian God, if you believe that this being is actually real, is not an American citizen, is not qualified to vote in the United States, was not born in the United States at all, in fact, was never born, Um, is from a different part of the world, actually. 
Um, and so you want to have this kind of alien being come down, descend upon the United States like an invader, and change our elections? I mean, that is kind of weird. And, um, you know, the very fact that the Republicans in Florida are campaigning for public office today, for tomorrow's election, in the name of a person who lived in the far eastern fringes of the Roman Empire thousands of years ago, that kind of shows you how out of touch with the day-to-day realities of life the GOP has become. We're dealing with things now that don't have to do with people who lived thousands of years ago halfway around the world speaking uh, some kind of archaic language, you know, which is fine. We can have languages other than English here, but they were talking about uh, concerns that are really not what we're dealing with here in the United States in our own day. And Estevan Bobo, he, he, he says that he wants schools not to teach weird things. He wants the Christian God to put a stop to that. But, you know, the idea of a God descending upon America to, to stop what people are doing uh, with their own democratically elected government, that is kind of weird. Um, and, you know, Esteban Bobo was given a 100% positive rating by the Christian Family Coalition of Florida, which is a fringe organization that advocates for public schools to conduct religious rituals during the school day, led by teachers, forcing them upon students. And these religious rituals would teach some of the following kind of weird things. For example, the idea that a 2,000-year-old necromancer is going to return to destroy the earth while magically taking his followers to another dimension where they will be able to live forever, while everyone else who's left behind is going to be tortured. That's kind of weird. Why would you have children learn that? Or... Uh, You know, this Christian Family Coalition of Florida, they want to teach children in public schools that there was this divine being who decided when people would not obey him that he would drown them all and kill them all. And that only one family was left and they had incest. And that's where everybody who is alive today comes from which is righteous, apparently. Um, uh, The Christian Family Coalition of Florida wants to teach in public schools that demons and other evil spirits are a serious, credible threat to public safety. They want to teach that the earth is only 6,000 years old, that people can do magic rituals to ask an invisible spirit to give them whatever they want, and then they're going to get it supernaturally. They want to teach that dragons and sea monsters and witches are real. Now, I think that that's a weird thing, but that's the sort of thing that Esteban Bobo is, uh, as mayor of Hialeah, um, approved by the 
Christian Family Coalition of Florida, given a 100% rating by that extremist organization. He wants to put that kind of stuff into public schools. What's weird is relative. It's not that there is an objective reality of what's normal for a human being. Um, There is not one standard that we all agree on. But I think the idea that dragons and sea monsters and witches and demons are a real threat might be counted by many people as rather bizarre and not an appropriate thing to teach children in a public school. But Christian nationalists like Esteban Bovo do not believe in the power of the American people to decide their own elections. So they're calling for supernatural beings like the Christian God to come and swoop in and descend upon America and use their magical power to change the results of our election. Okay, Bovo wants the mighty hand, he says, of the Christian God to alter the election. And Christian nationalists like him, you know, this just shows that they don't trust the American people because they think Americans are weird. Now, think about this in terms of the context of the narrative that Christian nationalist Republicans keep on using, which is that somehow, despite the fact that there's no evidence that this ever really happened, the election of 2022 was stolen from Donald Trump. But here they are calling upon their divine benefactor, this foreign magical being to come in and change the results of this year's elections. I mean, look at yourselves in the mirrors, Christian nationalists. I think that's pretty serious. I think it's pretty serious that they believe that the American people cannot be trusted with a democracy, that they believe that a God has to interfere because the American people would get it wrong that human voters should not set the direction of government in their own darned country, but they need to be herded around like sheep by a sky spirit. They believe that their God should have sovereign power as a king over the United States. And this belief has now infiltrated the literal halls of power in Washington, D.C., the halls of Congress, under the U.S. Capitol Dome. It was expressed this week by none other than Margaret Grun Kibben, who is, as House Chaplain, the official government-paid Christian preacher of the U.S. House of Representatives. She prayed on the floor of the House for the Christian God to persuade members of Congress that he is sovereign in control of the United States. Here's what she said. Then open our hearts that not only would they respond to the grand and glorious evidence of your sovereignty, but that they would yield to the quiet and careful counsel you offer us for the living of our days. Okay, so here's what the U.S. House chaplain, Margaret Grun Kibben, is saying. She's saying in this prayer to the Christian God, that she wants this God to come down and um, 
somehow manipulate the hearts and the minds of members of the United States Congress to get them to recognize the sovereignty of that Christian God. Sovereignty is a word that actually means something. It's not a throwaway term. You see her and the Senate chaplain, Barry Black, use this word in many of their prayers. It means something really specific. A sovereign is, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, one possessing or held to possess supreme political power or sovereignty, or one that exercises supreme authority within a limited sphere. Sovereign, sovereignty. This is absolute power. It is not democratic power. It is held in the hand of one authority, and it is exercised without restraint. A sovereign is like a king or an emperor. And what Margaret Grun-Kibben is saying here is that the American people are not those who are in charge of the United States. No, that, that democracy is not what the United States Congress should comply with, should obey, should respect. She is asking her Christian God to come in and manipulate members of Congress so that they obey him and recognize him as their ultimate authority rather than the people of the United States of America. That's Christian nationalism. And remember, Margaret Grun-Kibben is a U.S. federal government official who is being paid with taxpayer money, her salary, her office expenses. The better part of a a million dollars every year goes to support her making Christian nationalist speeches in front of members of Congress every day. Of course, it's not just in the halls of Congress that this is going on. No, we also have um, campaigning uh, out there just a couple of days ago. Um, the Christian nationalist preacher Kenneth Copeland. Um, you may remember Kenneth Copeland. He was the guy who declared that he had the power through prayer to make COVID-19 over um, just, oh, in April of 2020. See, like a, a month, a month and a half after it really, uh, that pandemic started hitting the United States hard. He declared that it was just over in the name of Jesus. Well, of course, that didn't happen. But now, um, Kenneth Copeland is uh, introducing Donald Trump on the campaign trail. And here's what he had to say a couple of years ago. And it's an echo of what House Chaplain Margaret Grun Kibben said in Congress. Hallelujah. So, by covenant, this nation belongs to God. What a great rally. What a great nation. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whose we are and whom we serve. In a few days here, people will be going to the polls again to cast vote. Your perfect will will be done. And this nation will begin its change 
and it will continue to do so, and it will continue under your leadership and your guidance. It will continue to change and change and change until it is great again. And we thank you, sir. We give you praise and honor tonight. And I bow my knee before the God of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. That last phrase is kind of important. You'll hear a lot of apologists for Christian nationalism say that, oh, don't worry, it's all just metaphorical. That really this kingdom of God that they're talking about is, oh, it's just something of the spirit. It's just this kind of feeling. It's not going to be literally here on earth. But no, this is Kenneth Copeland, a Christian nationalist preacher, giving a talk at a political rally where he's talking about who should be the actual leader of the United States of America, who should lead in Congress. And he's talking about the Christian God coming in and having control. Not just having control, but um, actually having ownership of the United States of America. So this is the thing is that Christianity actually does talk about this. It's in the Bible that this kingdom of God is, yes, there is a spiritual element to that, which is spiritual. What does that really mean? It means kind of this vague thing of, you know, stuff that's not physical, but you sort of think or feel it. Okay. It's very subjective and a little bit woo, but okay. So there is that. But then they actually do talk about, yes, um, literal physical control over governments and power on earth with actual consequences, killing people, owning property, seizing control over actual governments. Because Kenneth Copeland says, by covenant, this nation belongs to God. Well, have you signed this covenant? Did the American people ever agree to any covenant giving ownership of the United States of America to God? No, they did not. The elected representatives of the people of the United States of America ratified the United States Constitution. If you want to talk about covenants, I mean, that's a religious term. Forget covenant. But an agreement, a an agreement with some legal authority was actually the Constitution, and that does not say that the United States belongs to God. It says that the government of the United States of America is supposed to be established by the people, the people of the United States of America, not the gods, not the preachers, not the churches, not some old prophet Jesus, but the people of the United States of America. This covenant is um, not something that's actually in effect. It's something that Kenneth Copeland is making up and Christian nationalists are making up, but they want to make it real. They want to make it real. So we have a lot of this sovereignty, Christian nationalist sovereignty from Margaret Grun-Kibben, the U.S. House chaplain, from Kenneth Copeland, and also from Dan Lederman, chair of the Republican Party of South Dakota. A couple of days ago at a campaign rally with Donald Trump, this one in Iowa, Dan Lederman proclaimed that the United States of America 
Once again, we hear this idea, the USA is the property of the divine monarchy of the Christian God who owns the entire cosmos, everything, including you. You are supposed to be a piece of property. Fancy that? Here's what Dan Lederman said. Blessed God, King of the universe, upon mortals, we do not depend. God, King of the universe, upon mortals, we do not depend. Think about this in terms of the context of the democracy that we have here in America. Democracy is government by the people. It is exactly mortals that we are supposed to depend upon. We are supposed to depend upon each other in this democracy. But there, Dan Lederman, the chair of the Republican Party of South Dakota, is saying that, no, we don't have democracy. We have a king, not just the king of the United States, but the king of the universe. So supposedly this this king, God thing of the universe is also king of the moon and of the Andromeda galaxy and black holes and everything. I mean, so if you think about that practically, how do you even know that that's true? Have you checked? Have you checked on uh, the moon Titan? Have you checked to see on the comets and asteroids? Have you checked in other solar systems and galaxies? No, he's just kind of making that part up, making everything up. It's Christian preachers and the politicians who are aligned with them, who are actually going to be in control if you say that you have this Christian God who is going to be the king, because that Christian God never actually shows up. So you'll hear... Uh, there's this kind of curious use of language in these prayers that these preachers and politicians are using when they're talking about politics. They're saying, God, you do this and you do that and you are this and you are that. And so you are this. And they're always talking to God as if God has to hear what they think about what God is. That's the kind of speech pattern that you use when you're having a one-sided conversation because the other side of the conversation can never actually show up and say anything. Isn't that curious? The God never talks back. It's not a conversation. It's really just the preacher or politician kind of making it all up and saying that the, they happen to know the king of the universe. And really, trust me, he wants you to vote Republican. So <laughs> at that very same rally, was the former U.S. Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker. You may ask yourself, what is an acting U.S. Attorney General? Uh, and you may not have heard of Matt Whitaker. Well, he wasn't U.S. Acting Attorney General for very long because this was in the waning days of the uh, presidency of Donald Trump. After the January 6th insurrection, which Donald Trump encouraged to try to overthrow American democracy, and the actual U.S. Attorney General resigned in protest. And so Matt Whitaker, this guy you're about to hear from, is the guy who stepped in because he was totally okay with Donald Trump um, trying to overthrow American democracy. And here's what he had to say at that same rally, introducing Donald Trump. The people are prospering. 
because we've put God back in our lives. We've encouraged the family. We have prayed. You know, hearing all of these people speak, these politicians, it's easy to forget that this is actually material coming from political campaigns and rallies for offices in the U.S. federal government, for the presidency, for U.S. Senate, for the U.S. House of Representatives. These are people who are participating in campaigns for candidates for public office. These are not church tent revivals, and yet they're acting as if Christianity is the major central qualification for public office. And, you know, here is the former U.S. acting attorney general, Matt Whitaker, and he's saying that, um, you know, things are working out for people because uh, we've put God back in our lives. I mean, so, okay, this idea that, he, as he says, the people are prospering because of that. Well, the people are prospering is exactly the opposite of what the Republicans are saying. Actually, they're saying, oh, no, things are awful under the Democratic Congress. So I don't understand how this is supposed to work, that Christian nationalists are now saying that the people are prospering because they've put God back in their lives. But um, just demographically, it's also false that um, people are putting God back in their lives in the United States. Actually, uh, increasingly large numbers of people in the United States are choosing to walk away from Christianity. 40% of Americans are now not Christian. They are not worshiping the Christian God. And so what Matt Whitaker is talking about here is actually a, a kind of fantasy. And it's based on this uh, originalist fantasy of the founding of the United States of America, pretending that it was some kind of covenant that, as uh, Kenneth Copeland said, uh, that America agreed to be owned by the Christian God, which never happened. But they just make it up. They return to this myth of the Christian founding of the United States of America precisely because American Christianity right now is really not doing very well. Its leadership is leading it astray, and people are walking away from churches because these Christian nationalists are alienating people. Um, but they talk about the founding as if, no, it's not supposed to be this way. You have to return to the original vision. Remember that in actual fact, the uh, original vision of the founders of the United States of America in the founding document, which is the Constitution of the United States, it places religion as something that must not get into government. But, of course, the Christian nationalists are promoting a different idea, a false history. And Donald Trump himself mentioned that at one of these rallies just yesterday. We will proudly uphold the Judeo-Christian values and principles of our nation's founding. Judeo-Christian principles of our nation's founding? Let's review what Judeo-Christian actually means. In Christian nationalist speak, in their language, this is a code for just simply 
Christian. Judeo-Christian means Christian because whenever they talk about this, they never actually talk about uh, the Judeo part, the uh, what Jews are thinking right now. As a matter of fact, Donald Trump just recently threatened Jews that they had better get in line and follow what evangelicals are doing and, and follow him and support him before it's too late. And he met with Kanye West, who talked about violence against Jews, going DEFCON 3 against them. This is um, a phrase that is supposed to provide a kind of cover and say that when we talk about our values, no, it's not just Christianity, it's also Judaism. Of course, you know, actually, uh, most American Jews do not support Donald Trump, and for very good reason. Judeo-Christian is a code for just really Christian. But um, the Judeo-Christian values and principles of our nation's founding, what would those be, given that our nation was founded as a secular democracy? Uh, where do those supposed values lead? Well, there's this author, Stephen Wolf, who has written a book published recently in which he claims that Christian nationalism is Oh, not anything to worry about. It's just nothing more than simple, harmless, religious patriotism. Here's what he says. I was like, wait a second. I'm a national. I love my nation. I'm a nationalist and I'm a Christian. And why, why not be a Christian nationalist? I want to see my nation ordered to uh, the things of God and heavenly life. And so I was like, well, we should just, I think it's a good term. So Stephen Wolf is saying that... Uh, Christian nationalism is just being a Christian and loving your country. What's the big deal with that, right? Who could oppose that? Well, of course, that's not what Christian nationalism actually is, and it's not what Stephen Wolf himself is actually promoting. So, elsewhere, when he's promoting his book, Stephen Wolf has stated that as a manifestation of the will of the Christian God and a manifestation of the ideology of Christian nationalism, people of different races should not marry each other. He believes that in accordance with the ideology of Christian nationalism, everybody in America should just stay with their own kind of people, because that's who we really feel comfortable with, he says. Stephen Wolfe is arguing for a return to the bad old days of segregation, Oh, but that's not all. Stephen Wolfe has also argued in discussing his book that seeing the United States, quote, ordered to the things of God and heavenly life, unquote, means that women should not be allowed to vote. He's stating that, quote, the head of household is the sole public person as household representative. He alone he alone would vote, and he would vote on behalf of the household, unquote. Now, when Stephen Wolf was asked point-blank if he would affirm the right to vote for both men and women, Stephen Wolf answered no. Stephen Wolf's Christian nationalism means that half of the U.S. population will be deprived of the right to vote, and honestly, that's really just where the Christian nationalists want to get started. They want to take away legal rights from plenty of other categories of people, too. 
women are not the only people that Christian nationalists want to disempower. Because Christian nationalists just can't restrain themselves. They can't help it. They simply cannot stand securely with a simple Christianity that is willing to live and let live. Because Christian nationalism is based upon the belief that its opponents, non-Christians, are infested with demons. Actual demons that must be destroyed. Christian nationalists cannot feel safe so long as there are people who exist who disagree with them. So they quickly swerve from promises of moderation to plans for persecution, just like Stephen Wolf has. So it is that the Christian nationalist preachers at True Christian Talk recently tried to have a conversation where they said they were going to demonstrate that Christian nationalism is not something to be afraid of. It's nice and moderate and not a big deal. But even as they sought to reassure their listeners, they just couldn't keep that act up. And like Stephen Wolf, they went off, swerving into a kind of crazy, exaggerated, radical obsession with excluding people, persecuting people, forcing people into Christianity. You know, it, 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 Christian nationalism believes that the U.S. is meant to be a Christian nation. What are we if we're not a Christian nation? I don't understand that. Melting pot, Muslim, you know, Jewish. I mean, what, what is it you're saying here? LGBT, what, what kind of nation is it? And want to take back this U.S. or this country for God. Okay, that sounds like Christianity. I'm missing something somewhere. They did. We we did not come out and say we're never going to allow a transgender to come into our church. Will we say that a transgender can't hold a position in our church? A lot of your organizations are saying that we don't want a transgender because you know it just doesn't promote the the mission statement of the company. So, you know, well the argument. The argument they seem to make is that Christians want to force their religion, which is true. I mean, the Great Commission. Keep in mind, this is what Christian nationalists sound like when they're trying to appear reasonable, like we don't have anything to worry about. Listen to them. They're saying, well, what are we going to have if we don't have a Christian nation? I can't understand it. What would you do? A melting pot? Have Muslims? Uh, Jews? What, what is it they're saying? Having LGBTQ people? Oh, but didn't say LGBTQ people here. <laughs> okay, and that's really important. Be, listen to the other language. The, he, he was talking about having a transgender come into church. A transgender? That, that Transgender is an adjective. It's not a noun. So why is this Christian nationalist preacher talking that way? It's because he can't he cannot bring himself to acknowledge what the noun is, which is person, human being. This Christian nationalist preacher cannot bring himself to say the simple phrase, transgender person, transgender human being. They don't see transgender people as people. They see them as a transgender a transgender. This is somebody who has been dehumanized. 
And then he's saying, oh, well, we'll let you come into the church physically. We simply won't allow you to exist here as an equal human being. And then he goes on elsewhere to say, oh, we won't let you use the bathroom of your choice because we understand that if you go in there, you're the sort of person who's just going to rape a bunch of people in the bathroom. You know, there is not a rash of bathroom rapes by transgender people. It's simply not happening. This is something that Christian nationalists are making up. And so we have this kind of attitude that um, comes out where they're discriminating against transgender people uh, because they are afraid and they are bigoted. And this is what a Christian nationalist preacher is saying to try to seem reasonable to, like it's some great favor to let a transgendered person into a Christian church and then treat them like garbage. Like this is some great show of tolerance. This is the kind of moral view of Christian nationalism. Oh, and then we have the other Christian nationalist preacher in this pair talking to each other saying, golly, I mean, it's not as if we're going to, you know, force people to be Christians. Well, no. I mean, well, we actually are. Yes, the Great Commission. We are going to force our religion on people, Christianity. I mean, within three or four seconds, he has to acknowledge that actually, yeah, that's kind of what he feels called to do, to force Christianity on people. They simply cannot rest in moderation because their ideology demands absolute obedience, absolute adherence. There can be no compromise in Christian nationalism. And when we talk about Christian nationalists forcing their religion, you know, force is not an exaggerated term here. Christian nationalists are advocating for the use of actual force, actual physical violence against non-Christian Americans. And remember that non-Christian Americans are about 40% of the population. Four out of every 10 Americans are not Christians. And that huge number of people, well over 100 million people, is who they want to target with violence to force us to become Christians. That's what their religion stands for. And I'm not making it up. And as evidence, I'm going to give you somebody that you've heard from before in previous weeks, Julie Green, who is an affiliate of the Republican campaign of Doug Mastriano, who is running to become governor of the state of Pennsylvania. And um, this Christian nationalist, Julie Green, who has been promoted by the Doug Mastriano campaign and in turn is working to campaign for Doug Mastriano, is telling her followers that there needs to be civil unrest. This is her phrase, civil unrest. She says it's actually the direct word just coming to her. She's just a channel. She says this comes directly from the Christian God. It is the command of the Christian God that there be civil unrest. She's not just conveying this opinion, really. Um, of course, we know that as she's talking, um, these thoughts are coming from her own mind. But Julie Green has become so confused, so deluded, so wrapped up 
in her religious faith that she has come to believe that the thoughts that she has in her head are actually the voice of the God of Christianity and that she has become a specially chosen prophet who is uh, given the power to declare what the new New Testament is for the Christian God. She actually calls herself a prophet. And she issues statements that her followers actually believe are the direct word from their God. And this week, Julie Green delivered what she said is a divine confirmation that the United States is the property of Christianity, but was stolen from them by a mysterious international conspiracy. Here's what the prophet Julie Green said in her prophecy this week. Many are wondering, what about the last election, Lord? The election was stolen. How can we, we go forward and have another one? My children, trust me. The election of 2020 is coming down. It will be wiped out, exposed, and annihilated. Everything that has happened to you since will cease to exist. So stand strong and stand praying and believing victory is yours. This nation is mine and I have given it to you as a gift. Take your gift and never let this happen again. Do not let them take me out of your government and watch out what I will do for this nation. I hope that you're hearing the common thread through all of these comments, all of these speeches, these prophecies, these prayers from the Christian nationalist leaders. What they're saying over and over again from House Chaplain Margaret Grunkibben all the way here to Prophet Julie Green is that the United States is the property of the Christian God. And Julie Green then goes and turns that around and says, yes, it's the property of the Christian God, but now the Christian God has given the United States over to Christian nationalists, and it belongs to them. It's a gift. And now she's saying to Christian nationalists in the supposed voice of the Christian God, take your gift, the United States, take it, and never let this happen to you again. Never let them take me out of your government. Take the Christian God out of the government. And then watch out. Not just watch, but watch out for what's going to happen next. Because if we take the Christian nationalist point of view, what do Christian nationalists do to their enemies? Well, the prophet Julie Green cites the Christian Bible. She cites the New Testament. She cites the Gospel of Luke, which instructs Christians to trample their enemies as if they were scorpions or snakes underfoot. She decrees that Christian nationalism will win the 2022 elections by trampling its opponents. No matter who tries to 
thief. Who tried to steal? The thief has been caught and he has to give it back sevenfold. I proclaim and decree, Father God, I plead the blood of Jesus over my state. I plead the blood of Jesus over my nation and stealing will not prosper against me because you said in your word that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Stealing of our elections is something that they were trying to do to prosper against us. And I thank you, Father God, not only will they not steal this election, I thank you, Father God, you are tearing down the last one. I thank you, Father God, that everything they've done since the last one will cease to exist. One of the things that he says in Luke 10, 19, now listen, this is the amplified version of this scripture of the scripture luke 10 19 behold i have given you authority and power to trample upon serpents and scorpions and physical and mental strength and ability over all over all not some not a little bit over all the power that the enemy possesses and nothing shall in any way harm you a stealing of an election would harm you correct yes and god says nothing shall in any way harm you now more of us know the authority that we have it takes a bit of effort to try to follow the logic, such as it is, of the prophet Julie Green's declarations of Christian nationalist power. But what she's claiming here is that Christian nationalists have been granted a magical power of invulnerability to any attack, including the stealing of an election. Now, as somebody who thinks rationally, you probably have noticed the inconsistency in this belief. Julie Green, like other Christian nationalists, claims that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump. Now, that didn't actually happen. You know that. You know that there is no evidence at all for any stolen election. Yet, Christian nationalists believe that this took place. They believe this in the same way that they believe that Jesus could just walk on water because the Christian Bible says so. And because Christian nationalist leaders say that the 2020 election was stolen, they just believe it as an article of faith. Dangerous, dangerous faith. So, Julie Green just said, though, <laughs> that Christian nationalists believe that the all-powerful Christian God is on their side and has given them this power to be invulnerable to any attack, including the theft of an election. So, how does that work? I mean, it doesn't actually make sense, right? Christian nationalism is saying that both the election was stolen, but that Christian nationalists have a special magical ability to resist the theft of an election. How can both things be true? Well, they can't both be true. They are opposite. But here's the way that Christian nationalism works. It is not a rational system of thought. It is a system of Christian faith, and the Christians who belong to Christian nationalism have been trained from a very young age to just accept articles of faith, even if they contradict each other. Christian nationalism doesn't have to make sense. It just makes up for its inconsistency with an inflated sense of confidence and entitlement to authority. That's the main thing that they believe in. And they work backwards from that belief and just kind of make up false facts to fit that belief. 
the biblical authority that Julie Green believes has been divinely granted to Christian nationalists is ultimately violent and vengeful. She believes that they are invulnerable to any kind of attack, which means that they can enter into violence without fear of actually getting hurt themselves. And that's a kind of dangerous belief for a group of people to have. Julie Green says that Christian nationalists have the power and authority to trample upon anyone who stands in their way, as if the opponents of Christian nationalism are nothing more than crawling vermin, scorpions, and serpents. To make it even more plain, in a separate prophecy, Julie Green told her followers this week, using the voice of the Christian God, that they should prepare to engage in civil unrest. Civil unrest is about to occur, it will look like, O United States. Your enemies will see their defeat in all the states they tried so desperately to steal, and they lost anyway. And all it takes is one shot to knock the giants down dead. Yes, the giants against you have no idea what is about to take place against them. And they won't until it's too late, saith the Lord of hosts. A takedown of the Biden is about to be seen, but all who are behind him are all coming down with him. These are the days for the giants to fall. You heard that right. The Christian nationalist prophet Julie Green has used a specific name for the Christian God here. And this name for the Christian God, this epithet, uh, is used to communicate exactly what she is talking about. Because it's a very specific title for the Christian God. She spoke of the Lord of hosts. Hosts means armies. This phrase, this nickname for the Christian God, that's the name the Lord of hosts, that is used for the God of Christianity when that God is leading an army in a physical attack, physical violence. That is what the Lord of hosts is about. Julie Green also spoke of Joe Biden, calling him the Biden, as if this is a, a, a thing, the Biden. She spoke of President of the United States, Joe Biden, as a giant, a target, and talked about the giant opponents of Christian nationalism being shot dead. All it takes is one shot to knock the giants down dead, is what she said, calling Joe Biden a giant. She is declaring, in the name of Christian nationalism and Jesus and all of that, that President Joe Biden should be shot dead and that he won't have any idea about it, quote, until it's too late. This is not a joke. This is Christian nationalists threatening the assassination of the President of the United States. And you could be asking yourself, how could so many Christians be clamoring for violence? Well, it's essential to remember that Christian nationalists 
cite the most sinister passages of the Christian New Testament to argue that Jesus was willing to use violence to gain and maintain power. Christian nationalist Jim Tower uh, recently proclaimed on his podcast, True Christian Talk, that Jesus is not really the nonviolent nice guy that a lot of people seem to think that he is. I, I mean, I'm sorry. When we talk about Jesus, they want to push in here that Jesus was this guy that loved everybody and forgave everybody and didn't argue with anybody. That's not true. This Christian nationalist preacher is saying that Jesus was not all about love and forgiveness. People want to believe that, but um, that's not actually who Jesus was. Well, and if you take the Christian Bible to be the record of who Jesus was, and honestly, that's the only record that there is. There are no contemporary records of this Jesus character ever actually existing, which is rather curious. Um, but if we take this Jesus as a character, then we got to look at the Christian Bible. It's the only source. And the Christian Bible records Jesus being absolutely barbaric as sending a message to the prophet John, um, the disciple John, um, of this act of insane violence, saying that Jesus is going to come with some angels and they're going to take um, all of these people who are not Christians, who are not joining Christianity, and they're going to shove them into a gigantic wine press, which is a machine where you have this kind of barrel, and then there's this turning screw that tightens and tightens and tightens the pressure on the grapes in the wine press until they are all of they're all crushed and all of the moisture comes out. Well, in this book, Christian Bible verse, um, in the book of Revelations, chapter 14, it's the last little verse in that chapter. It's saying that, you know, after doing some other really terrible, cruel things, the, that Jesus and his angels are going to come and cut out the... Um, the non-Christians, as if they are grapes to be harvested on the earth. And they're going to shove them into this gigantic wine press. And then Jesus is going to squeeze that and squeeze that and tighten it until the blood of all of the non-Christians flows out. And there's going to be so much blood from so many people that it's going to be six feet high, the actual phrase is at about the height of a horse's bridle, roughly the height of a human being. And that's going to be that deep for 180 square miles. Okay? Imagine that much blood. That is how much killing, gruesome killing and maiming of the corpses that Jesus is threatening to do in the Bible. That language is in there, and you can pretend all you like that it's not, and just cast your eyes to the Bible verses that you want. But that is not what Christian nationalists are doing. They are looking at verses from the Christian Bible that other Christians don't like to look at, and they're using this as inspiration. 
you cannot say that Christian nationalists are not biblical. You can't say that they're not Christian. You know, you can say that they're crazy. You can say that they're cruel and violent and nasty, but they are citing specific pieces of Christian scripture that have been cited down through the ages. These were the pieces of scripture that the Christian leaders early on decided to keep because they were angry and they wanted vengeance and they wanted practical political power. They wanted control. So you can ask yourself, how can Christians threaten to assassinate the president of the United States? But righteous violence in the name of Jesus is right there in the Christian Bible. What can we do in the face of that? We should not be violent as these Christian nationalists are. We should not return their violence and their threats of violence with our own. Because if we even threaten violence, they're going to use that as an excuse to begin the civil unrest that the prophet Julie Green has threatened. They're going to use that as an excuse. If we are violent, they will return that violence. And you know what? Uh, Christians are still in the majority in this country. And Christian nationalists are the majority of American Christians. Non-Christians are 40% of the population. And we can really only count on a minority of Christians to stand with us. This is not a fight that we should begin in terms of violence. It is, however, a, f- a fight, no, a struggle, a struggle, a nonviolent struggle that we should engage in at the ballot box because the 40% of non-Christians plus the minority of Christians who reject Christian nationalism, that makes up a majority at the ballot box on election day. We can win that election in defiance, in resistance against the violent Christian nationalism that threatens to tear apart the United States right now. And that is what is at stake in the 2022 election. But we can only win if we actually show up to vote. It is not the majority of the population that gets to decide elections. It's the majority of people who show up to vote. So please, the action that you can take this week, it's very simple. Get out and vote. And if you've already voted, great, thank you. Go help other people to vote. Spread the word about the election that's taking place. Remind people what's at stake. Spread the word about the importance of voting. Vote and then get everyone that you know to turn out and vote in this election too. You know, this week, I really don't know what else you can do. Um, This week, my mind is so focused on the election because the stakes are very practical and very high. The future of American democracy is at stake. And, you know, there's not going to be some supernatural being swooping in, descending upon America to save us from Christian nationalism. Because in a democracy, the, the force 
that is going to save the democracy has to come from the people itself. A nonviolent force, the force in the sense of physics, the power has to come from the people. We are the ones who have to show up. And I don't know what else we can do right now. We can wait and see what the results are going to be while encouraging our neighbors to come. And so we don't know what's going to happen. And there is a power in that. I mean, we have to be the opposite of what Julie Green is. She claims to know the future. She claims that she has the actual voice of the Christian God appearing in her head and telling her what the future is going to be. I think we need to be the opposite because there is something really important in admitting that we don't know what's going to happen. And we don't always know what the right answer is to all of our problems. What if we changed American culture to make that something that's okay for us to acknowledge what we don't know? What if we altered this cultural prejudice against not knowing? What if we made it okay for people to stop pretending that they have the answer to every question, right? Like the Christian nationalists say that all of the answers, everything that you need to know is in the Christian Bible or in the prophecies of the new Christian prophets like Julie Green. They have all the answers for everything. You know, their answers are not really credible. They don't end up really serving the United States very well. I think there's a value to acknowledging what we don't know. There's a good argument to be made that it's the fear of being exposed as ignorant that is fueling Christian nationalism. These Christian nationalists don't want to admit that there are things that they don't know. I mean, yes, it can be kind of frightening to be faced with the knowledge that your knowledge is limited, that there are things that can happen that are going to be surprises. And sometimes there is not a plan for everything. Not everything makes sense. Not everything goes according to some narrative that was developed thousands of years ago. Sometimes things happen that are unpredictable. Sometimes, you know, your side doesn't win. Sometimes really bad things can happen. And there's no praying it away. There's no way to say, well, this is all for the good in the end. It's just some God working in mysterious ways. You don't know that that's true. What if we admitted that? What if we admitted that we don't know what's really going on? You know, I think that deep in their hearts, Christian nationalists know that's true, but it terrifies them. And I want to have compassion for that. I understand that terror. I understand the fear. Life is sometimes really frightening. I think that the more that Christian nationalists realize that the things they pretend to know for sure, the more that they realize those things are not sure, are not certain, the more that they double down and just insist that they have this ultimate truth. You know, when he was president, Donald Trump, oh, he always had to pretend that not only that he knew things and that he had good knowledge, but that he knew more than anybody else. He knew everything about everything. Remember that? President Trump 
loved to brag about how he knew more than the experts, and the experts, they were useless. Donald Trump claimed that he knew more about military affairs and war than his generals did. He said that he knew more about North Korean government and nuclear capabilities than the CIA did. He said that he knew more about medical science than doctors and medical researchers did. In reality, Donald Trump did not know anything close to as much as what he thought he did. Uh, There are many memoirs coming out from political aides who helped Trump to do what he did to the United States. But now they're cashing in and writing these memoirs, uh, little tell-alls. And they're reporting that Donald Trump was profoundly ignorant, that he couldn't even locate countries on a map. He thought that the Balkans were the same thing as the Baltic Sea. On the opposite sides of the European continent, he had no idea. But what if Donald Trump had the kind of psychology where he could admit that he didn't know things, and then he could listen to other people who knew things? And nobody knows everything. I mean, scientists are not experts in history, by and large. It's a rare person who could know very much about both, but there are people who specialize in different kinds of knowledge. What if we could acknowledge that there are things we don't know? And then we could listen to people who are experts in those areas. What if we also could acknowledge that there are some things in life that we are never going to know? We're never going to know what's going to happen in the future until the future arrives. Prophecies are not real. And we don't know what's going to happen after death, if anything happens at all if there is anything after death, because nobody ever comes back from the dead. That's what being dead is all about. We just don't know, you know? And admitting that doesn't make us failures. It makes us sane adults. It makes us a little bit more balanced, and it makes us prepared for the uncertainty of the future. I'm really hoping that Christian nationalism is going to be turned back. Now, the polls predict that Christian nationalism is going to move forward, that the Republicans, at the very least, are going to take back the U.S. House of Representatives and quite possibly the United States Senate, and there are practical consequences for that. But I want you to remember that, you know, election polls have been wrong in the past. And they're based on something more than prophecies. They're based on mathematical models. But those are always approximations. Those are always uncertain uh, because they are based upon partial samples of reality. And uncertainty is always there. And if people like you turn out to vote, if enough people decide that, you know, they're not going to stand by and let this stuff go forward, and they decide to turn back the Christian Nationalist Republican Party, then, you know, 
maybe the Christian nationalists will not control Congress as well as controlling the Supreme Court. We don't know what's going to happen. But next Monday, by that time, we will have a good idea. And that will be when the next episode of Stop Christian Nationalism is coming out. And we will be back at that time. And boy, will we have a lot to talk about. Join us then.